if you have an employee who really values and believes and buys into what the business does, they're going to bring people with them. They're going to bring their own tribe, if you like, and, and it's going to do the job that the company wants to do for them. And we have lots of evidence of tech companies that do that really, really well at the moment. Welcome to the Going Global podcast, brought to you by Globalization Partners. Hire anyone, anywhere, quickly and easily. Use our AI-driven, automated, fully compliant global employer of record platform, powered by our in-house worldwide HR experts with 97% customer satisfaction ratings. Globalization partners succeed faster. Welcome again to another episode of Going Global, the podcast where leaders in high-growth companies tell us their own stories of going global and building global remote teams. I'm your host, Diego Mendiburu, and remember, that you can find all past episodes of this show on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. On today's show, we're going to interview Tracy Kevens. Tracy is Global Foreign Direct Investment Director at Morgan McKinley, a global professional services recruitment consultancy that connects specialist talent with leading employers across multiple industries and disciplines. Tracy is currently responsible for devising and executing the FDI strategy in Ireland, UK, and Singapore. And that's why we're going to be talking with her mainly about Brexit. Hello, Tracy, and welcome. Hi, Diego. How are you? Let's start with the basics, of course. Tell us about Morgan McKinley and your role inside the company. But I guess I could ask this in another way. A lot of people told me you are the perfect person to interview about Brexit. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I suppose I'll start in saying, as you mentioned, we are a global recruitment consultancy. We were founded many years ago, 1988 to be precise, in, in Ireland, and we've grown through acquisition and organic growth. And we're now employed close to 1,000 people in 10 countries around the world. The main areas that we look after, as I said, anything with the specialist qualification and professional qualification, we would recruit for, but all the main areas in financial services, accountancy and finance, marketing, HR, sales, engineering, science, supply chain, healthcare, you name it, we recruit for it. And then we have a solutions arm to our business, which is M3S, and they would recruit everything from RPO solutions, managed service programs, and graduate and emerging talent programs. We have an advisory arm to our business, which is ORG, and it operates primarily out of the UK currently, but is expanding globally as we speak. And uh, we've other brands like La Creme, which would be specialist office support talent, both temporary and permanent workers, and Accreate, which is our executive search um, brand within the business also. I hope I haven't forgotten anyone. And tell us, how does Brexit fit into that? So in terms of our business, so we have amidst our footprint, um, we have a large footprint in the UK, in London, and predominantly in the financial services district. My own role within the organization, which we set up about 10 years ago, was our foreign direct investment division. It was for companies who were looking at internationalizing their operations and helping them to decide where was the best place to set up from a talent perspective. So we would give them everything from fully loaded salary costs, benefits, but we would give them everything outside of that. So what are the motivations of talent? why they locate where they do, the type of work that they're looking for, what motivates them. And that is all very relevant, I should say, in a Brexit context, because what we have right now is you know, following a very lengthy departure process. You know, the UK have exited the European Union and, uh, you know, from having voted for it back in 2016. And we've just ended the transition period. So we've come into 2021, the EU Trade and Cooperation Agreement has come into effect. And what it effectively means is UK as a new status as a third country outside the EU. And this 
has a very relevant impact on talent, both within companies currently and those that are potentially looking at future careers within the UK and beyond. And for companies looking to establish in the UK, where previously the UK would have been part of the EU and would have given them total access to the EU, what were 28 countries, now it's a second market. So it gives it access to the UK only. And, you know, really what we're seeing companies doing now is having a dual approach. They're looking at establishing an operation in the UK and also into the EU. Okay, you've said this before, but I want to be 100% sure because you told us it has been a long process and we've been hearing from the news outlets about Brexit for four or maybe five years now, and it seems like a never-ending process. So the question is, is Brexit process totally and finally over? Are all the most crucial rules and regulation that is bringing you know, agreed, fully agreed and publicly available for anyone to understand? It's, there's not a clear yes and no. Yes, insofar as Brexit came into effect and the new trade agreement came into effect from January. I suppose the, the few areas that are yet to be defined is that EU talent that was based, for instance, in the UK prior to and the 31st of December. And once they've applied for settlement status, they can remain in the UK. But after the 31st of July, if they haven't applied for settlement status, then they will be treated in the way of an immigrant coming into the country and will be required to apply for a visa. So that is one area of it. The other area that isn't very clear at the moment is in the area of data and GDPR and data advocacy. So at the moment you have, in terms of companies understanding how data transfers between the EU and the UK um, happen. So the transfer of personal data now transfers data to a third country um, when the EU are transferring to the UK. And obviously from the data transfers for the UK to the EU, they haven't agreed what is sufficient there. And so they have temporary arrangements in place at the moment and that can be extendable from four months up to six months. So I suppose to answer your question, Diego, a lot more will become apparent as we move through this. We're still in, even though it's been a long process, there was a mixed degree of readiness for companies, those that were very ready when it came because the planning had been in place and those that were less ready, I think they were hoping for a last minute reprieve and that it may not have happened. That was probably naive on their part, but that was the reality of what we've seen in the marketplace as well. Wow. So, I mean, in short, I would guess that if people like me or people that are trying to do business in the UK or Europe have all these doubts and questions, just like me, it would be wise to approach Morgan McKinley, right? To make better decisions regarding how to expand a business and how to hire people either in Europe or in the UK, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's, apart from the legal implications of it and what the process is, I think it's important to understand the process itself. So, for example, you know, for talent that are looking now at international talent at the UK, um, there's a process whereby they have to apply for a skilled workers visa or an intercompany transfer visa. They're the two main methods by which they can set up um, in the UK or be compliant in the UK to work in the UK. Okay, uh, maybe this simplifies things too much, but would you say that since Brexit became a reality, you know, hiring European nationals in the UK just got tougher? Yes, and this probably stems from going, if you go right back to when this referendum took place, it was a little bit of a kick in the stomach, if you like, for EU nationals that were living and working in the UK at the time. And 
you know, as I said, we have operations in the UK, across London, the home counties, and a lot of talent that would have been registered with us suddenly were considering international locations in which we had offices because they didn't feel welcome and they weren't sure about their future. And there was a lot of uncertainty during that period. For companies, equally, they were trying to hire. There was a balancing act between understanding what they could ask from a legal perspective in terms of people's origins. This because previously, because we're an EU citizen, they didn't need to require and understand did they have citizenship or anything like that for the UK. So there was that planning process that was in place. And then there was, I suppose, spouse independence. It was then those people behind the employees of companies that were also impacted adversely by it. And in some cases, they were the reason why individuals left and returned to their home country. And I suppose our country, I suppose it's also, it would be remiss not to call out, COVID also played its part in the latter year for individuals returning to their home country to be close to family. And that also had an impact in terms of EU talent location and situation in the UK. And the other part, we do an employment index monitor, which comes out quarterly in the UK. And it measures two things. It measures the number of professionals that are working registered to work in the UK market and the increase or decrease of those from quarter to quarter and also the number of positions that are coming onto the marketplace. And what the last quarter of last year, just before the transition period took effect, it showed a decline of 31% year on year of professionals that were registering for opportunities in the UK and, you know, a corresponding decline of 36% of opportunities. So it was it was quite stark. Now, that was if you followed a quarter on quarter, you know, it was moving up, it was moving down. But, it, you know, that's how it ended 2020 and going into 2021. There's still a lot of reasons for optimism. You know, financial services still remains to be a very important sector and probably one that largely has sat outside of many of the terms of the new agreement. But, you know, n- nonetheless, we have seen a number of financial services organizations in the earlier stages. There was more than 40 of them, kind of big name companies that you'd see relocating some of their operations or expanding existing operations in other European countries like like Dublin, like Paris, Amsterdam, Frankfurt and Luxembourg are probably have been the main benefactors of that. OK, let's try to imagine an example that would allow our listeners to understand, you know, the personal implications of Brexit. You know, let's go beyond the red tape and the laws and regulations. I would like to understand what it would mean all this process for, for example, a, a European citizen, maybe someone from Spain, let's say, that used to work in London for a British company. And then he went home, you know, to his country for a few months to take care of his or her parents, I don't know, in Spain. And then he or she tried to go back to the UK. But after January and after Brexit became a reality, what is his or her situation in this example? Well, I I should caveat this by saying I'm not an immigration specialist, but I will attempt to answer as best I can to your question from what we understand of it. So I would say in that situation, if he was or she was living in the UK prior to them going back for a period of time, they may still qualify for what we would say pre-settlement status. And once they come back into the country, they have until the end of July to achieve that settlement status. If, for example, they hadn't and they were outside of that term, so they hadn't been five years previously living and working in the UK, or they hadn't been in the UK prior to the 31st of December and applied for it, and then they would be applying as if they were third party to the country in immigrant status. So they would be looking for one of two things, either a skilled 
workers visa and intercompany transfer. The skilled workers visa, you get it online in terms of all of the occupations that fall um, within that. There are a number of them. And I would imagine it's probably going to flex and change. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be, you know, a highly professional occupation if it's one that's highly in demand and sought after and the skill is in short supply in the country typically applies under that list. So that list can evolve and change. The person would need to be, you know, applying for a position or have a company to sponsor them for a position to be in a position to apply for the skilled worker visa or for the intercompany transfer. Ideally, that's where they're already employed in another subsidiary business in another location and they're transferring them across for a period of time. So that's kind of the two, two main areas. Okay, you said you're not an immigration specialist. But it sounds to me like, you know, perfectly the options that the professionals have right now. So let me ask you another thing. What would happen the other way around? You know, let's say I'm a leader in the HR department of a UK company, I don't know, maybe in London. And I was looking forward to hiring a very highly specialized person. And then, I don't know, let's say, let's imagine that I have a few candidates, but all of them are European happens now in terms of how easy will it be to hire any of these European candidates? So it's going to be okay, I think, for them. And this is probably back to one of the original points you made. I think with Brexit, what it really means, the onus on HR departments in particular, it's not a necessarily an operational issue. It's more going to be a strategic issue in the future. So planning is going to be really important. What they will need to do is to resource plan ahead of time. So, you know, how they would maybe have happened in the past as and when it's needed. If it's international talent or European talent, it's going to be more challenging for them. But there's a lead in time. There's a process. There's paperwork and there's cost. You know, I think the particular challenge in this space is going to be for technology talent. Typically, they move fast. They make decisions that the positions move quickly and they're following the technology. If it's not moving quickly for them, they tend to move on and look at, at other locations. They're very much following the technology as opposed to following necessarily the location of where they're going to be working. But the UK has been a huge hub for technology talent. So I think that is potentially going to be challenged, but I see that there's a lot of incentives that the government are putting in place to ensure that they're not disadvantaged, that the timelines aren't prohibitive to them being able to recruit this type of talent. So a HR person will need to plan. They will need to have their paperwork in order, get it right first time because it is quite laborious. I would definitely say they would need specialist advice. And I think in terms of getting them on board, then the onboarding piece will be important as well, because obviously relocation fees are going to be another element and helping them find somewhere to live and work and will be more of a feature than it has been previously. So if I understand correctly, if you're an European professional that wants to work in the UK, you will now face different laws and regulations than before, of course. But at the same time, it is equal to what other people from other parts of the world have already faced in the last few years, right? I mean, what I'm trying to say is that European nationals or from any European country willing to work in the United Kingdom now have the same requirements as someone from China, from India or from Mexico. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. So and so when you say it like that, it seems quite straightforward that it, it shouldn't present too much of a challenge. But you know, we know from the front line of recruiting that still takes a little bit longer to get that talent through a process and to bring them in. And they tend to be for highly skilled positions. And, you know, companies have planned ahead and ensured that they have everything in place to get them on board within a specific period of time. But the, the time to hire is probably the piece that will, will add anything up to four to five to six weeks to a process, a hiring process. 
So I was wondering, you know, in connection with the last question, do you feel like there is a new hunt for talent from all the regions of the world, you know, uh, from APAC, India, China? Uh, has Brexit started a new trend where UK companies are opening to hire people from all over the world? Yes, I think so. I think Brexit has done that. COVID has done that. I think what it has shown is possible to work from anywhere to get the work done. I think what we've actually seen is twofold, Diego. Some of the companies that we have talked to have said we had in a Brexit context, uh, some companies have said we have lost really specialist talent. Uh, they've migrated back to the EU and we want to retain them. We want to keep them. We don't have capacity to establish a legal entity in the country in which the person is residing. However, the cost you know, from a tax perspective, we don't want to trigger necessarily a tax liability for that person. And so for that reason, we've actually started seeing the employer record model increase in popularity because it enables employer who doesn't have a legal entity in country to not have the tax or the legal or the HR burden, but they still engage and retain that person within their team or within their business. And there's no boundaries in terms of geography of where that can be. You know, most of these opportunities can be anywhere in the world. So that's made the world a smaller place. Thinking about that, I guess there's sort of a paradox, you know, like people in the UK have, of course, been uh, have been through different and challenging times lately both in terms of the Brexit process as a whole, and now, of course, uh, more recently, the pandemic. But ironically, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the pandemic is also, you know, potentially helping a lot of European nationals, you know, that might face this more complicated process of getting hired in the UK. Maybe they can now, you know, because of social distancing restrictions of the pandemic, they can now work remotely with any UK company from their own home in their own country anywhere in Europe, right? Yes, and I think that is certainly the case for mid-level, more experienced talent. I think the challenge that comes for companies is in emerging talent piece for the new talent, that the graduate talent. And you know, one of the things that the impacts of Brexit is they've, they've now removed themselves from the Erasmus program. It's one of the largest student exchange programs, I think, I believe in the world. More than 4,000 universities take part in it. And it's largely been a hiring ground for that talent, you know, post them finishing their course. If they've had a good experience in the country, there's a large percentage of that talent ends up staying within the country. So that I know that the UK is going to build its own equivalent. But in terms of, you know, mid-level talent, senior talent, absolutely. I think um, now the flexibility, remote working was probably the first step towards that, which tech talent led the way on. But now I think it's almost like remote and flexible working for all. We also see hybrid working models where individuals will spend half the year in one location and half the year in another location. And that's largely a lifestyle that they're looking for as well. But it enables as well where we've had for very specialist niche positions where individuals don't wish to move their entire family for a position. They can keep their family in their home country and they can then spend a period of time in another country, but ultimately do a volume of the work from the main principal country in which they're living with their family also. So it's offered that degree of flexibility that wasn't there before. You just mentioned something that is very interesting, you know, about the new talent and people that have just come out of uh, university or college. I also had this conversation with someone, with another guest of the podcast a few weeks ago. I believe it was someone that is working at a co-working space and a business incubator and accelerator. And I believe he said something like, you know, that senior professionals, as you just said, can work remotely and they already have the experience the tools to do it. 
but what about those that are just finishing school? And you know, uh, the office space and sharing a physical space with people allowed them to learn from others, you know, to literally see with their own eyes what they were doing or what others were doing and shadow them and do all kinds of things that were crucial for that first part of their professional career. So you pretty much agree, right, that they're losing that part with remote work. And, and now European nationals will have a more challenging time getting that experience in a UK environment, right? Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think that learning by osmosis and it's particularly prevalent and a concern for professional services firms that would hire graduates in, in large numbers and particularly the legal firms, accountancy firms, and they would. So I think what we're starting to see is this hub and spoke model, which I think is pretty popular in the US, where companies are looking to hire people in hubs, if you like, close to where they live and bring them together. There's a data privacy and security piece to this as well, that if they are contained in a location, like a if you think of WeWork 2.0, then that's going to help with, from a culture point of view, help in terms of that learning piece. But it's we're still in the very early stages of discussion on that. I don't think, certainly countries that I've been involved in, I don't see any one company that has cracked that yet, but it's, it's very, very high on the agenda with HR leaders at the moment. So we all know, you know, London is known internationally as the financial services hub for Europe. Do you think that will change? Where are the financial and banking companies going to move if they require to do it or if they feel the need to do it? It has started to change um, in the last four years already. I think, you know, there was a number of companies, particularly insurance, I think, led to the way that set up operations, you know, in Frankfurt was, as, and Luxembourg with big benefactors of it. And then for other types of uh, financial services, core banking businesses, Amsterdam, Paris, and Ireland has been very, that's been attracting a lot of the payments and digital banking solution business. I still think London, UK will have a very important role to play. I think there's a lot more to play out in all of this as well. But I do think in terms of front office skills, which really London would have led the way on, we're starting to see a bigger cohort of talent migrating to other locations around Europe. Um, you know, in Dublin, we've had a, a number of banks that have set up and they're now looking for core skills that previously we would only have seen in the, in the London market. Okay, so we're now approaching uh, the end of the conversation, but I want to ask you this to round up on the Brexit subject. The media has been talking for years about the things that the United Kingdom will lose when they talk about Brexit. You know? But I want to make the opposite question. You know, What opportunities do you think will open thanks to Brexit? And what new world is approaching uh, because of the departure of the UK from the European Union? Yeah, I think I probably answered that in three parts. Um, so if I talk about the emerging and the graduate talent place, I've talked about all the, the challenges in terms of exiting uh, Erasmus and the fact that 30% of the EU graduates, uh, you know, are graduates in the UK. But what I would say is that the, you know, the UK has, a, has an opportunity now to build something brilliant that probably spans beyond the EU and that is a more global a global program that will give access to their graduates to get global experience where they may not otherwise have had through a new agreement. And I know that's in the early stages of discussion and I would feel positive for that. In terms of their existing talent, so obviously I've said that about the decline in the number of professionals registering for opportunities, but I think in terms of the existing talent, there will be more opportunity for them in time. Once there's a little bit more certainty in the marketplace, I think there's a lot of schemes and incentive schemes, learning programs that are going to be available and grants 
uh, for individuals who are looking to upskill. And I also think under you know international models, as I mentioned before, the employer record model, there'll be opportunities for British talent to, to take on global opportunities in this new world of working. And in terms then of the international talent, I think once we get through the early teething problems that this new process from skilled workers to intercompany transfers and it starts to become a bit more of a well-oiled machine, I think then there will probably be new strands and new elements to that agreement that will enable you know, international talent to move more freely once it's identified the core skills and the requirements and what's needed to keep the UK economy and the UK employment market buoyant and active as it has been to date. Okay, so last and final question, I want to ask you, what should UK companies do to attract the best talent now that pretty much they are open to recruiting people from anywhere in the world on equal terms? You know, how can they manage to find or recruit the best talent no matter where that person is? I would say, first of all, they need to build a very strong employer value proposition. So that is not just their pay and their benefits conditions. It's everything about who they are as an employer. Um, what is their, let's say, their agenda around corporate social responsibility, sustainability, be very clear on what that is to their, their talent community. I think they need to have a clear and consistent process that's equal and inclusive. So that starts with writing a very clear job description. Um, there's a lot of companies now that are advocating a gender-blind recruitment process whereby you know they can't see whether the applicant is male, female, or otherwise, and they um, are really recruiting on the skills and, and what they require. The interview process needs to be consistent, so they need to have their leadership team all on message that they're saying and believing and exhibiting the values of the organization. So building a very strong culture. So employee advocacy is growing hugely now in terms of recruitment. It may do recruitment companies like ourselves out of business, but you know ultimately if it's done well, if you have an employee who really values and believes and buys into what the business does, they're going to bring people with them. They're going to bring their own tribe, if you like, and it's going to do the job that the company wants to do for them. And we have lots of evidence of tech companies that do that really, really well at the moment. Education outreach, I would say start early. So, you know, very very often companies wait until they have graduate programs in place. Um, I think it's important to start that earlier. In Ireland, we have at the age of 15, 16, what's called transition year. Um, there's equivalent in lots of other countries. But now employers are getting in front of those and they're giving them a day in the life and working in a company to really give them a sense of what their business is about and maybe help signpost them towards taking an undergraduate qualification that will steer them to a career in their business. So it's a very much a long term approach. And the last thing I would say is understand the talent that you're looking to attract, the motivations, because it's not the same for all. So we regularly survey talent. And for example, technology talent, their number one motivation is the technology they're going to work with. And the projects they're going to work with is number two. And, you know, pay and benefits is number three. So it's, it's not the most important thing. Finance talent, it's the reputation of the employer and it's the opportunity to progress their career multilingual it's all about the environment that they're working in is it social are they going to make friends you know obviously pay is important as well so it differs and if an employer gets that right and gets into the psyche of the talent they're looking to hire and you know they can do that very very well tracy thank you very much for the conversation i mean you've clearly demonstrated that you know all the facts uh, that you're genuinely an expert on this so please tell us if people want to reach you and get in touch with morgan mckinley how can they do it how can they get in touch with you? The easiest way to do it. Very simply, www.morganmckinley.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on all of the social media platforms um, also. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, again for the conversation, Tracy. Really full of facts. I've learned a lot and I'm pretty sure that 
all our listeners also learned a lot. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Diego. Appreciate it. This is the end of our show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember that you can find all episodes on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're planning to hire a new global team member, Globalization Partners makes it easy to onboard international talent in a matter of days. Go to globalization-partners.com to get started. This is Going Global. Presented by Globalization Partners.